The Borough Mag podcast tells the stories of the players, managers and moments that defined Middlesbrough Football Club. Listen to the triumphs, turbulence, heartbreak and joy of being a fan as we look back at the history of the Borough. another edition of the Borough Mag podcast. Uh, we've got another season review for you today. So we've already looked at the 94-95 season when Borough got promoted in the Premier League under Brian Robson in his first ever managerial job. We're going to take the 97-98 season because it was after that massively famous 96-97 season. and um, We were coming off a little bit of heartbreak of those cup games and the relegation fight that didn't go our way in the end thanks to those three-point deductions. But I'm joined by a couple of fans, and it's quite an interesting one this week because none of us are actually in Middlesbrough, which is quite interesting. I'm in England. Um, I'm in Liverpool, as some people probably know already, as a Borough fan. But I'm joined by a couple of Borough fans across the pond. We do get around a little bit, as we know. But um, I'd like to introduce the first guest for today. Uh, it's Callum. How are you doing, Cal? Good, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Join us all the way from across the pond. Yep, in lovely Ohio. Thanks for having me. Looking yeah, forward to the right. chat. Cool. And we're also joined again by author, uh, Borough Mag writer, written for Borough Breakdown, Everything MFC, um, our expert on the 96-97 season. Thanks for his book. You're joking, aren't you? Uh, how are you doing, Tom? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks, yeah. Looking forward to chatting another season with you two today. So let's get straight into it. So, Tom, do you want to fill us in a little bit on sort of how that 96-97 season left the Borough and where we were at at that start of this 97-98? Well, I, um, I suppose um, the, uh, the, it was kind of like the, the main thing was that the, uh, we were just going to go, we were going to go all for it. We are going to put, Gibson was going to pour all the money back in there to get straight back up there. I guess we left the season with a little bit feeling hard done by with the whole points deduction and everything. Um, so it was almost like there was no break in the project. We were just going to keep pouring money into into the uh into the club and see where it took us um it's interesting because I, I kind of feel like we've been obviously i wrote a book about the 96 97 season and it was a, a crazy season but when i look at when i look back at this season i kind of you you always kind of forget how crazy this season was i mean there was so much going on the money we were pouring into the club um obviously we reached a, a final even though we we're a second tier team and there's all the there's so many little little just crazy little side stories like um, I'm sure we'll get to them like Fabio playing that mystery game against Huddersfield and Andy Dibble coming in and conceding nine goals and disappearing. Uh, it was, it was just, so many stories. Obviously, Gazza coming along. Um, it was, uh, it was crazy. I, I think it, when I look back at all the signings we did, I still think that signing Paul Nurse in this summer was just, was definitely the most incredible signing. I mean, it's almost impossible to kind of feel what the equivalent would be like today. It's almost like, uh, Jack Grealish going to, you know, 
Luton's are or something. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just incredible to think. And you know, he's talked about it recently, and we were paying him more than Bergkamp was getting at Arsenal. Like that, that you know, he, he couldn't even turn us down. Uh, just, just to start off with that kind of statement uh, that summer, bringing that in, uh, you know, just set the tone running, set, set the tone for this season. What about you, Callum? What What do you think was the um, some of the things that you remember or that you think about at that time, really coming off such a historic season for the club, really? For, for me, you know, I was 10, 11. For me, still, I think that's one of the best seasons uh, I've ever had as a Borough fan. Um, you know, not only did we play really good football that season, obviously Merson and his flair that he brought to the team, but we were also very good defensively. You know, we, we absolutely dominated most parts of the season. We had a couple of glitches here and there. But, you know, the thing that I liked about it was that you go from the season before where we were terrible at the back, we conceded some really bad goals to the point where now, obviously, I know we're in division below, but we had flair. We, he was bringing in strikers from all over the place. You know, Branca, Moreno was on the books at the time. Um you know, Rickard, Armstrong, you had Hignett popping up with goals, Mikel Beck, um, you know, Paul Merson. You know, it, it was just... It, to then, obviously, get to a cup final in, you know, Division 1, um, you know, we beat Liverpool to, to get there was just insane. And to this day, I think still think it's one of the best atmospheres, if not the best atmosphere I've heard at the Riverside. And we didn't even have the corners filled in. You know what I mean? So it was, you know, it was a great time to be a Borough fan. Yeah, it was a really interesting time, wasn't it? Because obviously coming off the back of that 97 season, it, it never felt, Robson was never going anywhere, let's be brutally honest. He, he, he was the one who was going to lead the club back up again. He was part of the project, like you were saying, Tom. But, you know, we had to sell Janino, probably, probably not thinking he would stick around, but there's always that part of you that thought, you know what, maybe he'll just give us six months or something like that. But obviously the France 98 World Cup was coming up and there was really no chance he was going to stay. So he left for Atletico Madrid for 12 million quid. So that kind of boosted some of the outlay that we'd had the season before. Ravinelli stuck around for the first game of the season. Emerson stuck around. Nobody really came in for Emerson. There was clubs sniffing around, but nothing nothing too serious. But like we say, let's, let's start with Paul Merson. We'll give an honourable mention to Andy Townsend at first, who signed for half a million pounds. And me and my dad, we used to sit in the West Stand in the corner where the old away fans, where the away fans used to sit. And my dad, being my dad, he, he came up with a song for Andy Townsend because he used to turn the, he used to take the corners right. I don't even know where he heard it, but it just used to be "Ooh, Andy Townsend, Ooh, Andy Townsend." You think you're sitting there as like a twelve-year-old thinking. All right, yeah, it's not going to catch on. Let's just stop and move on. But he was that kind of player who was like, never really had a song for him, but he was a great sign and great player in that midfield and, and really solid for us. But thinking about Paul Merson and what he did for us, what's your feeling, Tom, when he, when he signs for Borough? Janino's gone. What could he, what was he going to bring to our club? Yeah, I mean, it's just, when I, when I think about Paul Merson at that point in his career, like I, I don't know if there's a team in England that he wouldn't have gone in. Like you know I mean, he, he was that good. I mean, he, he was like Arsenal didn't want to get rid of him. Uh, obviously, he had all those problems, but um, but you know, he was he was starting to kind of mend them. And he was just, he, he, I can remember just being very very excited, thinking this guy is going to absolutely tear this league apart. Like uh, because and uh, you know he's known as like a maverick, and he was just such a such a great player to watch. 
Uh, my my recollection is that he did kind of have a slow start. My um, you know, he had high expectations, and I think a lot of that was kind of linked to his um, his personal life. I think he was still living in London, like and like he was kind of commuting up for training and stuff, like something absolutely crazy. Like so, I think it was um, he uh, he he definitely took a little bit of time to um to settle, but then he moved up and he, they, the club paid for his brother to move in with him. Uh, but when he um after you know after a, it was probably only a couple of games maybe that you really you could really start to see the quality shine. Um and I in particularly in that first few months, I just remember him and uh Michael Beck just having an unbelievable partnership. Uh, I I can remember like, you know, season before kind of having mixed feelings about Beck, but Beck's got off to a flyer in this season. I think he had maybe 15 goals before Christmas. And him and Merson just seemed to to gel perfectly. And um yeah, I mean Merson was just just such a great player to watch. I mean, his technical ability was brilliant. Um, his, you know, his passing and some some of his, you know, this, this, my one of what what strikes up what I remember most is the um, that game against Sunderland, the Stadium of Light, watching that live on Sky, and this him that that pass uh, through over to um, to to Musto, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is unbelievable seeing that level of quality about in the first division. I mean, he obviously set up Emerson's goal as well. I mean, I think that was the moment when I realised how was this guy playing at this level. He was still playing, but in, you know, he was getting called up to regular England squads. You know, he made the World Cup squad that year. You know, and, and to your reference with Beck, I think we played, I think maybe Birmingham away, maybe or Stockport away. You know, and he flicks his ball over the top behind him and Beck. He, I don't know yeah. how he managed to see him. You know, and uh, or Beck, sorry, flicked it over to Merson, and you know. The partnership that they created in that first half of the season really set the tone for how we we played for the rest of the, you know, for the rest of the season. Like you said uh, to my earlier point, the football we played that season, you know, was considering we'd lost Janino, uh, Emerson was obviously Emerson. We were left at you know Christmas time. We lost Ravanelli. You know, we lost some big names to the to the start of that season, and you know the likes of Neil Madison coming in, the likes of Andy Townsend. You know, players that aren't necessarily going to get fans in the seats but we made some shrewd signings that year I know we put a lot of flair into the forward players but we, we really secured the, the the back end of the, of the team and you know we had some really talented youth players coming through Steve Baker Craig Harrison um, Anthony Omerod Andy Campbell Chris Freestone scored that first goal against Barnett you know there were some young lads that had you know come in and stepped in as well so you know it, it was going on all fronts we had quality players being signed. We have quality youth players coming through with a really strong team already there. Yeah, I think Merson was the type of striker that we needed as well, didn't we? We'd had sort of Juninho as the sort of midfield creator, wasn't he? And I think Robson obviously made the shift to move that creative force up front so we could, you know, like you say, Callum, not being all out attack. Merson was a forward, not a midfielder who got forward like Juninho was. And obviously... One of the issues around the season before was that we didn't secure that midfield. We didn't play well enough defensively. But when you look down the list of of players, we used we used a lot of players in a forty six game season in that season. But Merson missed one league game all season. He was the mainstay. He was the man who was going to be scoring the goals, setting up goals. But then the next sort of three players, if you like just show how strong the spine of the team was. So Schwarzer played 35 games, Fester played 38, Townsend played 35, and Merson played 45. So he played, you know, seven more than anyone else, but you've got that whole spine. The keeper's great. 
Festus settled in and was really suited to the first division because he could play, couldn't he? Those remember those marauding runs he do like out of the middle of defence, and you kind of thought, what what is he doing? Just give the give the ball to someone else. But I think moving the forward line so that it was Merson who was creating rather than having that number ten. I think that is what changed this team to be more solid defensively. And we mentioned, you know, some of the youngsters that we had to play because we did get quite a few injuries that season. If you look down sort of the type of players that we were playing or had to play, people like Phil Stamp, who you might think, oh, this would have been a great season for Stamp. Really get yourself um, fit, get yourself in the team. He only actually plays you know, all in all. He played 12, he made 12 appearances. So for him, that, you know, that was a big thing. And some of those younger players who were coming through, like Craig Harrison, as you mentioned, were really good. Pearson probably didn't play as many as we wanted to, but we still... Um, made quite a lot of games for what Pearson was at that stage of his career. But we started the season pretty well. We got some good results. And the Sunderland one, like we said, stands out quite well. But let's talk about the quality of the league that season as well, or some of the play- the te- other teams that were around us. Who were sort of some of the players um, and some of the teams, Callum, that really stuck out for you? Because I think this is one of the best and strongest first division seasons, definitely since I've been a Borough fan. But what do you remember about those other teams that we were facing off and, and trying to beat for promotion? You know, I was uh, when I was like I said ten or eleven years old. I was I was playing football regular myself, and I was a centre forward. And you look at some of those teams. You had Sunderland, who had Kevin Phillips up top, who and I think he scored like twenty nine goals that season. Forest had Pierre van Hooydonk, who was just an absolute monster in that division. You know, and and as we go through that season, you know there was we we played against some teams that had really, really strong players, you know, and, and just to mention those two alone, you know, they ended up with 29 goals each and literally between all three of us, Sunderland, Forest and Borough at the end of the season, there was one point separating that promotion. You know, it was amazing and, and for the run that we went on throughout the season, you know, we didn't lose more than two games at a single time, you know, so to keep up with those with those players, because we didn't have a prolific goal scorer in our midst, you know, but like you mentioned there with the stats, a lot of players, you know, I think we had four players that scored double figures. Um, you know, we made some key acquisitions with Branca. You know, he scored some really key goals early. I think he scored a hat-trick at one point as well during the season. Uh, Berry. Um, Armstrong came in and scored some really good goals, some important goals, especially towards the end of the season. Uh, Rickard too. You know, so it, when you're comparing him against the teams that we played against, you know, yeah, we didn't have a prolific goal scorer, but I always remember them two standing out. And, you know, I think now Quinn was at, at Sunderland as well at the time with Phillips, so I obviously had a, a fantastic strike partnership. Very different to ours with Beck and Merson. Um, you know, so those two stand out for me in particular. And Tom, thinking about those other teams that were in around us, so like, as Callum was saying, you had all those great strikers. I mean, even Forrest had, um, got to mention this, Kevin Campbell was playing up front with Van Hoydonk. Van Oudong scored 29 and Campbell scored 23. Then you had David Johnson at Ipswich. Uh, Marcus Stewart was at Huddersfield. Was there ever a time in that early part of the season, especially maybe when Ravinelli left, where you kind of thought, you know, this is going to be a real struggle? Or did you always feel that we probably would have had enough before maybe we had those big bulk signings in that February, March time? Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't think you ever felt... Um... During, this, during the Robson era, I don't think you ever felt uh, confident. I think you always had that kind of sense that things could could fall apart. Um, obviously, we had the uh, we we had the, the injury problems, but yeah, I, I definitely remember this being a strong league. I mean, that, that Ipswich team, 
I remember that was kind of the start of a, a really good Ipswich team that was going to get promoted soon. And like I say, Marcus Stewart was a he was he was an awesome striker at that level. Um, I think um, I mean yeah, I mean Forest were they were they were pretty dominant. Um, and like yeah, I mean I do I do kind of feel like we we definitely need that that period in March where we start bringing those players. I definitely did did feel like we needed an injection of um of uh of, of quality into the side. Like I think you know like I said like we said Beckham Merson's started well uh but i think we definitely needed some backup on that um I, I also kind of feel like this is similar to what we're saying in the night four night five season like the signings that we made it wasn't just the quality of them it was just also the kind of like the type of players i kind of feel like in the night six night seven season that dressing room was was such an odd place and it, was, it, it kind of had that split um and i think people like andy townsend and neil madison i think i think having those kind of kind of guys in the dressing room can really kind of galvanize the team when things do start to go off. Like, those are the sort of people you want there that can stop the, the rails from coming off. Uh, so I think, I think that's another thing that uh, Robson got right this season. Yeah, I think that really was a, an important point, an important part of the squad because he, it's, it's the classic 90s thing of um, players managing the dressing room, isn't it? You've got captains yes. in the dressing room. You've got people like Townsend and Mazza. They've been there, they've done it, they've played in the first division for 10 years. You haven't got these sort of foreign players coming in and upsetting the apple cart if you like because I think that was was a big issue wasn't it in 96 97 in terms of the the haves and the have nots if you like and and the haves with all the money were kind of the ones who were stirring the pot a little bit but it definitely settled quite a lot in terms of this side we still had some of those players left over from from the previous season so it's not like these days where you see clubs churn 10 11 12 players out another 10 or 11 in, in the championship. So if we just have a little think about some of the players who actually stayed on after signing that season, we've got Fester, Schwarter, as we mentioned already, uh, Mikkel Beck stayed on, Kinder stayed on, Emerson stayed on. Do you think that that was another difference, um, Callum, in the, in the sense that Robson, it kind of been a little bit up and down with his lineups in terms of the players that we had, but were there any other standouts apart from, I know we've mentioned Beck already, of those players that are kind of hung around and, seen a big improvement in what they were bringing to the team I think Craig Ignett stands out for a big one for me you know obviously whenever he played at Middlesbrough he always had to seem to fight more than other players just to get a starting position and you know obviously us not knowing that at the time you know that was going to be his last game against Oxford you know he, he came up with some vital goals and it always seemed to be either off the bench or you know he'd start a game and then he'd come off and then you wouldn't see him and he'd come back in you know, he, he scored some vital goals that season. Um, you know, but then the, the the players that don't necessarily get the recognition, you know, Robbie Musto, you know, he was he was always there. And, and throughout his time at Middlesbrough, Curtis Fleming, another one, Steve Vickers, you know, they racked up hundreds of appearances for Middlesbrough in a in a time when they didn't necessarily get the the recognition that they needed for the quality that they, they produced week in, week out, granted. I know we might not call Steve Vickers high quality, but you always knew what you were going to get out of his game. You know, and same with Musto, same with Hignett, same with Fleming. Um, you know, so I think those types of players, even though we talk about the, you know, the Mersons, the Brankers, uh, the Gazers, you know, they're all big, big names, but those ones that might not necessarily have a big name, I know for Borough fans especially, you know, they carry a lot of heart for, for Borough fans. Yeah, I'd say it was an interesting season for Hignett as well, and he spoke on the podcast that we did at the start of this um, this sort of series about some of the contract issues that he had. But 
just touching on sort of some of the younger players and some of the players who were coming through at that time, if we just stop for a second and think about someone who, who sort of burst onto the scene a little bit, I suppose, in that season, where, you know, we'd, we'd been doing well the first couple of months. We had a couple of defeats in that, that first couple of months. Merson had started to find a bit of form after he'd moved up to Borough. We'd, we'd had some good wins. We beat Oxford quite comfortably. We had a good win against Huddersfield at home. But one of the players that really sort of stuck out for me as a youngster, so this is this was my second year as a season ticket holder, um, Anthony Omerod. Now, he was a player who just felt like he was sort of going to be the next one off the line to sort of get in the side and do well. Um, and I think he was he was a great player. And he reminded me a little bit of Alan Moore at the time because obviously Alan Moore kind of had a few injuries and been on the fringes a little bit. It felt like Omar was just going to sort of walk into that position on the left-hand side or the right-hand side, whichever side he was on, um, and then score goals and do well for us. That crop of youngsters that we had, we had Omrod, Summerbell, Harrison and Baker, and Andy Campbell was around at that point as well. What are the moments or the standout games? And I can probably guess what one of them is going to be in terms of Steve Baker. But what are some of those standout moments that you that you had from from hearing about those youngsters, seeing those youngsters as they're coming through, in terms of how they improved our team as we went along? Well, I, I, I can remember Anthony Omerod just being like thinking he looked absolutely class. I remember um, it, it, to this day I still can't quite work out what happened to him because I remember this season he um, I thought he looked awesome. I remember there was a game against uh, QPR. Was a QPR, yeah. We absolutely hammered him three 0 and I think he came, I think he came off the bench, but he scored a twenty yard goal. Uh, I think he scored another great one against uh, Norwich. He, yeah, he looked he looked like um, he looked like the second coming of Stuart Ripley at one point. I mean, he just looked brilliant on the wing, just flying down there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, he did. He, I mean, his career just nothing really happened afterwards, did it? I can't really think of anything. So no, that's I, always been kind of a puzzle, yeah. Yeah. How about you, Carl? About Ormerod? When he scored that goal against Bradford, it's like, where's this kid been? Yeah, yeah. You know, he come on yeah. the top stanch, it's like left peg. It's like, we've, we've, like, like Tom said, you know, we've got another, you know, direct winger here. Likes to beat people, quick, nippy. You know, but when you look across those players that you mentioned, and obviously Harrison went on to Palace and had a bad injury. Campbell went on to Cardiff and obviously scored that goal for Cardiff that he'll always be loved and remembered for. But it was surprising that none of those players went on. You know, we've seen the job, obviously, Baker did against McManaman. Campbell scored some big goals for a number of years with Borough, a couple against Man United that season, especially when he scored against Sunderland in the Cup. Um, you know, he, he he scored some good goals for us, but it was it was crazy to me that those lads, you know, they just seemed, you know, I think went to Scarborough, who I think at the time were maybe in the conference or Darlington in, you know, Division Three. You know, it... it to, to be as successful as they were in the Borough team, you'd think that another Division One, Division Two team would have picked them up. Um, you know, and in, in, in the you know the following season, I know Somerville got some game time in the next couple of seasons, um, who, who did well. But you know, for all of those players, it was kind of that season where they initially came in was fantastic, and then the, like you said, they kind of just you know went away really, which was surprising because yeah. I like the fact. Robson brought in young kids and you know got them involved. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a funny season for me. This one, I feel like it's a, it's almost like a static moment in time for Borough. So you've had all the rise up to the '97, then you go down. You have this season, which feels like an anomaly when you look at the next three. So you've got like '98, '99, which was 
I'm going to buy solid, British, dependable players who can get me to mid-table, keep us safe. We'll put the sort of European dreams on the back burner, even though we've you know got some good players. The following year, we buy Ziga and we kind of, again, mid-table. And the one after that is obviously when it starts slowly starting to fall apart. And this one feels like, like you say, we had all those young players and you thought, do you know what, these are going to... Baker and Harrison are your full-backs for the next eight years. Summerbell is your, you know, your sub for Musto, if you like. Omarod's your winger who's going to start. But it felt like that this weird transitional period where you've got these players who are youthful, they've got ability, and then it just stops. And it kind of feels a little bit jarring, I think, at that point where, like you said, they never did anything else for us. Obviously, they went on to have longer careers in football. I think Omarod did ret- retire quite young, I think. Did he retire before 30, I think? I think he, he ended up having bad injuries, didn't he, I think, in his early 20s, yeah. I think, if I remember rightly. But, um, yeah, it was an interesting one. Right, so let's get into a, some of the games because, fun, you know, incredibly for Borough, between the 1st of November and the 1st of March, we only actually lost three league games which normally for us, it's like, right, we've got 12 games in these three months. Let's lose eight, undo all the good work that we've done at the start of the season and end up 15th. Because it feels like that's kind of what Borough were like, wasn't it, for such a long time. But when you look down this list, you're like, no, win, 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 draw, win. And we went all the way through. So really, I wanna, I'm going to skip through that November, December, because we had some some great... Um, Beck was fantastic. For me, Beck was brilliant. I remember over that Christmas period, banging goals in. And he, he looked like a man reborn without Ravinelli shouting down his ear all the way through. Merson, like you said before, Tom, that ball he used to just turn over the back of the defence for Beck to sprint onto because he, he'd run for it forever as well, wouldn't he, Beck? I'm going to jump all the way right to this um, cup run that we had. So we ended up getting drawn against Liverpool back in the January. And then we go to Anfield. Now, I went to Anfield. I don't know if either of you went, but I remember being at the top of the stand behind the goal and it was just shaking when that goal from Merson goes in. And for me, that was in that blue and white kit, that was like the that was the Paul Merson goal. Like it was a perfect, perfect goal from him. But what do you remember about we talked about it, well, touched on it already, but Callum, what do you remember about Steve Baker in that game? Absolutely dominating, who for, for us, you know, teenage early, early teens at that time, McManaman was genuinely like a superstar, wasn't he? I think. McManaman's still in his pocket. I'm all right. Um, but for a lad that's just come in from obviously playing reserve football to then literally man mark one of England's best attacking players at the time, like you mentioned, completely out of the game. You know, it was it was incredible. We'd seen it the season before, you know, with um Leicester did it to Janino in the cup final. You know, we just played Leicester a couple of weeks before and he absolutely battered them. You know, I, I, I don't know if Robson learned that with, with this. You know, we need to nullify their main threat, even though they had the likes of Patrick Berger, Michael Owen, Robbie Fowler. You know, people could score goals from anywhere, especially around the 18-yard box. So for him to go in there into Anfield with the atmosphere that Anfield creates to, to do a job like he did, you know, it's, it's amazing when we talk, when we just talk about, you know, the careers after Middlesbrough, that seeing somebody that could do a defensive job like that didn't play higher for longer. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. I, I remember watching that performance. I remember saying to my dad at the time, 
and I used to, uh, you know, talk all the way through the game. I'd always be looking at what was going on and pestering him all the way through it. And I remember looking and thinking, I've, ne- I've not really seen this that much. And like, like Daddy, he's just following him everywhere he goes. I think he ended, he was basically picked as a midfielder, I think, in that game. So we still kept our shape at the back. And he just literally followed him everywhere. And I remember the stand shaking when Merson scored. And then obviously the fact that we got beat, it didn't feel like it mattered because we sort of match Liverpool for effort. We matched them for a bit of quality as well, especially with the goal. So, Tom, I'm going to let you take on the glorious moment of the semi, uh, the second leg in a minute. But in that February, I did a quick look because I, I knew that we'd signed all these players quite closely uh, before the second leg. But in between, so 27th of January, 98 is the first leg. 18th of February is the second leg. 2nd of February, we signed Michael Thomas on loan from Liverpool. The 11th of February, we signed Hamilton Rickard for £2 million from Deportivo Cali. 12th of February, we signed Alan Armstrong for £1.6 million from Stockport. He'd scored against us the year before. Branca signs on the 16th for a million quid. Now, it's the days of you never heard leaks of the team. You waited till you got in the stadium. No Twitter or anything like that. Brian Robson and Viv Anderson, there's no chance Branca's going to play. He hasn't been registered in time. He's just arrived in the country. And then you hear he's wearing the number nine. So that second leg, Tom, what, what, are, your, what are your vivid memories of that, that, uh, that game? Um, my memory is just the, uh, uh, the atmosphere. I mean, I, I just, I can't imagine I'll ever experience another atmosphere like that. It, it, that. That was definitely like a special night. Um, and obviously the the events of the game, like having such a, an amazing start to the game, added to that. But I, I mean, that's all I remember is just the uh, just the sheer just the sheer volume. I mean, it, it was just it was just an incredible night. And I think that, like you said, coming back off that Anfield game, um, because we had matched Liverpool, we, we were in there with a bit of confidence, and it was just such a it was just such an an amazing night. I mean, in terms of like the actual game is just it's almost like a kind of euphoric blur i can't really remember other than the third opening six minutes or whatever I, I can't really remember the rest of it i can't even remember feeling that nervous about it um but like, i'm always what is kind of um i think interesting about it is that when we talk about the 2004 arsenal game you know people talk about oh it'd be arsenal and Spurs or borough beaten twice but we were playing a you know arsenal's reserve team basically but that liverpool team we played was 100 full strength when fowler was playing Obviously, McManaman, Owen, you know, Ince in the midfield. I mean, we were playing one of the best teams in the country, and um, and it just shows the um, it, it just shows the quality that we had on that side, and and the whole Branca thing was just um, it was just absolutely unbelievable. I mean, that's another example of this season. There's, there's so many crazy little side stories, and the fact that he showed up and then he scored that goal within the first six minutes was just was such a great story. What do you remember about all those signings, Callum, coming in? It's obviously, when you're a kid and, and your club's making loads of signings, there's, there's nothing more exciting, is there? But how does that all sort of tie together with this game? Well, you know, obviously, we, we watch um, uh, with Graham, you know, for, he does the Italia stuff on Channel 4, you know, and you see these players on a Sunday kick a ball around, you're like, we've just signed Branca from Inter Milan. I remember watching him play with Boxic or, you know, Ince was playing there, you know, so you're like, Okay, this player's come with quality. He scores that goal, and then the next game's against Sunderland, and he scores two. And it's like, who have we signed? He's literally scored two of the mass- massive goals for the fans 
you know, in a derby game, in a semi-final of a cup game. You know, obviously when we when you were talking in a, a couple of podcasts before about cult heroes with uh, with Uwe Fuchs, it's like does Branca fall into into that as well? You know, because he came in and scored the goals he did in such a short amount of time to reach double figures the way he did and scored goals that were that was so vital for our promotion push that year was just was just different level. You know, and, and still think back to it now and I'm like, you know, how how have Middlesbrough in Division One managed to sign a player from Inter Milan? And like you mentioned earlier with Jack Grealish going down to Luton, it's like you wouldn't see a championship club going out and buying a starting player from Inter Milan. It did seem very strange, didn't it? That so you've got we signed Hamilton Ricard, the unknown Colombian from South America. We signed Alan Armstrong, the Geordie striker from Stockport. Then we signed Marco Branca, the signing from Inter Milan. And again, this is another one of those players I was talking about in terms of like a moment in time. If you go down that squad list, Paul Merson, one season at the Borough, 97 98. You've got all those youngsters that we talked about that moment in time. Marco Branca. Obviously, he plays 13 games that season, right? 10 goals. He's the Uwe Fuchs of this team, isn't he? As you say, he's that, he's that cult hero. And then he makes one more substitute appearance for Borough. Ends up in a massive legal battle with the club, who, if I remember this rightly, the club said he wasn't fit enough to play anymore. Ranker thought he could, and he, I think he got lawyers involved, and he's saying that, you know, I think his, his knees had pretty much gone, hadn't they? But, and then, you know, ends up being court cases and I think compensation all that sort of stuff again it's that's another moment in time of a player who just played for one season had an enormous impact and for me do you know when we talk about Ravinelli we talk about Boxic and you go on about who was the striker and Hasselbank Vaduka if you haven't or if you don't know this season watch the season review and just watch it from probably about an hour in and just watch how good Marco Branca is on the ball with the ball at his feet in the box you couldn't get it off him and he, the reason why I think he's a great striker, he scored horrible goals where like it would scuff off his foot, but it would beat two defenders and a keeper. He wasn't like, I'm going to whip it and curl it in the top corner and all that sort of stuff. He was just a proper, proper goal scorer for me. And I think, I, I absolutely loved him. And I think he was brilliant in that season. And he really galvanised the team. And him and Armstrong scored 17 goals between them. And they only signed in the middle of February. And Armstrong, I think, was cup-tied for some of the games. And Branca missed a couple of them. And Rickard was on the scene. So we had other players that were getting involved. But we've got to talk about him. his impact at Borough. He's, he's right up there for me with some of the best strikers. But on the flip side, someone who actually became a great Borough striker, and I think is still the top Premier League goal scorer for Borough, Tom, what did you make of Hamilton Rickard when he signed? Yeah, well, I mean, well, in terms of this season, I mean, the, the impact of uh, Branker and Armstrong was just so um, was just so immense. So Rickard was actually the he was the biggest signing. Like he was supposed to be the uh, the one coming in to to make a real difference. But I can, you know, looking back, looking back, I I think we all Rickard had that slow start. I think he he just got the one goal, didn't he? Was it was that in the Berry game as well? Um, he got two, I think. Two. Oh, two, okay. Yeah, he got a goal late on against Wolves, like second to last game of the season. But yeah, he scored with Barry when Brandt right. got his hat trick as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, I can remember this thing because Rickard was kind of an awkward player to watch. Like he was, he was, he was powerful. He was strong, but 
he didn't it wasn't also always the most graceful so when things weren't going for him he kind of looked worse than he was i think if that makes sense like i think branca was the opposite i think branca was kind of a silky his movement was always good like he, he branca always looked quality whereas i think i feel like ricard sometimes um he didn't benefit from from his kind of gait and the way he kind of played so i think on this season, you know, he was, you have to say he was kind of a disappointment. Although that was definitely my perception at the time. But obviously I, I would kind of grow to love him. Like in next season, he would start, he would start on fire. And uh, like I say, he's like, you know, still the Premier League top scorer. So, you know, he, he, you could, you could say he was almost kind of a cult hero. I definitely have fond memories of him in, in general, but this season, yeah, he was, he was, he was definitely a, a bit of a disappointment. I think, you know, without meaning to upset any Hamilton Rickard fans out there, he was absolutely abysmal, wasn't he? Let's be honest. When he, he looked like he couldn't trap a ball, couldn't head the ball, didn't look like he could run. And then all of a sudden, the next season comes and you're like, literally, where have you been? So we've had Branca, we've had Rickard. Callan, tell us about Alan Armstrong, because he, he made a big impact, didn't he, when he signed? Yeah, honestly, I think he falls into one of those anomalies again. You know, he, could, he came in, he had a great, you know... Great start to his bullet for a career. You know, he scored um, scored against Sunderland, came in, scored against Swindon in that 6-0 game that we needed to win 6-0 to go back to the top of the league, which for me still stands out like it was yesterday with Branca scoring the all-red kick. Uh, you know, Neil Madison went on a crazy few games where he scored a few goals. Um, you know, but Armstrong, to me, was... He had everything about him. He was, he was quick. He had a good strike on him. He was strong. He was powerful. And then he gets a couple of injuries and it, it seems to then just, you know, ruin his career, really, unfortunately. You know, so again, you talk about these players that have anomaly one season with Middlesbrough. Armstrong, I think he falls into that as well. You know, he scores against uh, Man City. We win 1-0. Scores against Oxford at the end of the season. You know, he scored some really vital goals and you, you, you wanted him to then obviously kick on like Rickard did in the next season. Um, you know, and it seemed to be Rickard and Beck making that partnership with Armstrong coming in every now and again when he was back from injury. Yeah, so it's, I felt a little yeah. different. Yeah, it is a tricky one, isn't it, Armstrong? Because he came in scoring those goals and yeah, I just checked actually, he made six sub appearances the following season. And then Tom, you'd hinted at Ipswich a little bit earlier on under George Burley. They were building a great team. They bought Marcus Stewart from Huddersfield, I think, maybe after they got promoted or not. But then Armstrong goes to Ipswich and suddenly appears in like the UEFA Cup, I think, doesn't he? Against, I think he scored a couple of really important goals for them. But for us, it just that injury came and it just sort of, he just vanished, didn't he, really, from our club. And it was great to see him get back with Ipswich and do well. But talking about players that vanished or maybe didn't even exist or were a figment of Emerson's imagination. Um, the, the the Fabio game, Callum. So we'll set the scene. Emerson's obviously lost his his Brazilian mate in Janinho, who's been sold. You know, he kind of seems reasonably happy at this point in the season, doesn't he? He's kind of really sort of putting an effort in. He's scoring goals. He he really was a class above the rest of them. So at that point, we we had a decent run. End of October comes round. I think it was a night game. I feel like I remember it was an evening game, but we were home to Huddersfield. What what what's your recollection recollection of the uh, the infamous Fabio? He exists. We, we we heard about him. You know, he he signed with with Emerson. That was part of the deal. But you know, yeah, you've seen him in if you followed the reserve football. You've seen him in some of those games where it's like you'd never see him on the subs bench. Um, you know, and then this game turns up and he's in the starting eleven. 
It's like, what? How, how's, that, how's this happened? Like, you know, when we talk about those youngsters coming through with Somerville and Baker, it's like, were we that injury prone during those that time, you know, that we needed to call on him? And then he plays that game, and I think he plays the full 90, if, if I'm not wrong there. Plays the full 90, then you never see him again. It's like he's back off to, to Brazil. I'd be interested to find out how long his contract was, how much he was on, or if he was literally just there for a jolly up. It's almost like he's the Borough version of that. Uh, was it Ali Dai who, or Ali Dyer, or whatever he was called, who signed for Southampton as George Ware's cousin, didn't he? And Mo's like, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I know this lad in Brazil who uh, he's got a great left peg. Get get rid of Branco, ship him off. You know he's past it now. This Branco, get this Fabio kid in. He'll do a good job. But I'm like you, I remember, and I actually remember him being pretty good. I remember watching him thinking. Do you know what? He's, he could probably be all right for 10 or 15 games. You know, get something out of him or or do something with him. But yeah, a very odd one. So as we go through the season, we've done well in the Cups. Um, we will, obviously we'll, we'll come to the Chelsea game in a minute. But actually, let's do, we'll do the Chelsea game now. So we've, we've got to the, the Coca-Cola Cup final. We've, we've reached the end of March, so we're getting towards the business end of the season. Um, and we get beat again. And, and it's one of those games where Gascoigne signed takes Hignett's place in the squad. We don't really know how that's going to work or how that's going to sort of fit in with, with the running. Um, to be in the league, we'd had a couple of pretty bad defeats against um, Nottingham Forest and Queen's Park Rangers. as well. I remember I was at that Forest game and it was one of the, one of the first sort of non-cup away games that I'd been to. And Andy Dibble had obviously come on loan. Schwarzer had got injured. And I remember being in the way end um, and just singing. I think... As long as we didn't get beat by more than three goals, we'd still be top of the league. So we went 1-0 down. We are top of the league. We are 2-0 down. We are top of the league. 3-0 down, you're thinking, hang on a minute. There's, there's something not right in this game here. And then obviously we go 4-0 down and it's just silence. And the Forest fans are going wild singing, we are top of the league. And then the next game, the QPR one, I always draw parallels with that. Um, the 5-1 away at Luton in the 94-95 season where you think, we're a really, really good team, but sometimes good teams have really bad days. And it's probably like the Barnsley game that we've just had at the weekend when we're recording this one, where you think, how has this good team done so badly against a team that shouldn't really be beating us by this, this amount of goals? But anyway, we get beat 5-0. The Swindon 6-0 comes around. We're back on track in the league. And then the Chelsea final comes around. Um, Tom, I'll come to you. Did you, um, did you go to that final? No, unfortunately, I didn't get to go to the final. My, um, I got to go to the League Cup final and the FA Cup final the season before, but this time uh, my parents decided that they wanted a trip to London themselves. So my dad and my mum went. Um, so yeah, I just I just watched it on TV, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things like what you brought up there. I mean, one of the first thing that comes to mind is you know on Twitter, you know, I've seen a few people say things like uh, Joe Lumley's the worst goalkeeper they've ever seen in a brochure. I need to go back and watch the review this season and check out Andy Dibble yeah. because uh, there's absolutely no way that Joe Lumley's in his league. Uh, that was absolutely uh, incredible, uh, shipping nine goals in two games. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of our actual final, I mean, the, the thing that I kind of registers most with me about it is the whole Hignett-Gascoigne thing. Because, you know, I, 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 absolutely, I absolutely love Paul Gascoigne. Like, he's, one of, he's one of my favourite players ever. But that signing was... I just can't, I just have really mixed feelings about it. It was almost like Robson signed him because he was available and he could. Like it wasn't necessarily like the, the right player we needed at that time. 
And I think that kind of, you can say that about a lot of Robson signing. He wasn't really building teams and squads in a way that clubs might do these days. He was just, you know, we had the money and players would just come in. And with Higney in particular, like it was, a, it was a cup that kind of got him back into the Robson's good books. Like he, he was so important during that cup run. He, I think he scored against, uh, he scored against Sunderland and then he scored the winner against Bolton in extra time. And then he scored the last minute winner in the quarterfinal against Reading. And then he sets up that Merson goal, that iconic goal with that beautiful, like, Pirlo-esque over-the-top ball for Merson. So the fact that he got left out of the entire squad, like, still, I, it's, still it's just still unbelievable when you think about it. Um, so that, that's kind of my thoughts. I mean, that Chelsea team, they were good the season before, but that 97-98 Chelsea team was really something. I mean, I think they finished fourth in the league. They won the Cup Winners' Cup. I'm pretty sure this is a season where like Abramovich saw them and was like, yeah, that's the team I want to, I want to buy and turn into like one of the Euro's best. Um, so going in there, it was, I don't think uh, my recollection is that we didn't go in there with any kind of like real confidence. I think we we were definitely uh, the underdogs. So the fact we got to, to extra, the fact, the fact we got to 90 minutes at nil nil uh, was a pretty good feat. Uh, I remember it being a very kind of turgid, slow, like, you know, really cagey game. And then in extra time, Chelsea's quality just kind of shone through. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It was it was a pretty dull final. It just felt like we were kind of trying to fight it out and see whatever we could pick up. What about you, Cam? Did you go to that final? I did, yeah. Um, just always seemed to be against Chelsea, didn't it? Um, you know, but even looking back at the final, you know, there was so much pressure on Gaza. It's Paul Gascoigne. You know, he's come and he's coming on it in a final. It's like you're expecting him to to be Paul Gascoigne and go do the business. You know, and I honestly can't remember us registering a shot inside the box in that entire game. You know, and yeah, we took it to extra time. And, you know, even looking back at the goals, you know, it's like, did the ball go out when Wise crossed it in? If we cleared the ball, you know, that, that cross that Zola put in for the second goal, it bounced on the six-yard box. You know, so it's like, did our performance, you know, we, did we warrant penalties, potentially? But, um, yeah, Wembley wasn't a good omen for us, to say the least. But, you know, as a Borough fan where we haven't been at Wembley in such a long time and then to get there again and be a Division One team was just, you know, obviously looking back in hindsight in regards to where we finished that, that season, you know, to get to a, a cup final and then to, to get promoted to the Premier League, you know, as a young fan, it's, it's stuff that you talk to your parents and your grandparents and like, yeah, we've, you know, this is the first time we've done this. You know, and, you, and to be a part of it, and you know, to be Wembley way, to get your picture out, out in, in front of the the, the the twin towers. You know, it's just stuff that you know, I've still got pictures with, with me, and my dad, and my granddad. You know, um, in in the, the Borough Cave, it's, it's you know stuff I look back on now, and you know, it's stuff that you'll never get back. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible, really, when you think about it. I wonder when the last. I wonder which teams have been in three consecutive domestic cup finals since we did it in that night. I'm going to find that out tonight, actually. Who's been in three consecutive domestic cup finals since us in 1998? Because that is pretty incredible for a club the size of Middlesbrough, considering what we'd done before then. We didn't have a lot of heritage in terms of getting to cup finals and, and doing that sort of thing. So pretty amazing for me. And, and as a fan, when you're a youngster, and it, it just... It just means you're going to be with your club forever as well, doesn't it? But putting that disappointment aside, we had a couple of um, couple of bad defeats actually in the league. I think we had a bit of a hangover really from those 
from those games, but we we pretty much steamrolled the rest of the competition on the way to the end of the season. We we only let a couple of goals in the last six. We won five of the last six. We only let two in, and one of them was against Oxford. So I'm going to jump all the way down to the, the final game of that season. Um, the 3rd of May, 98, we got Oxford. Callum, were you there? What are your memories? I was there. So we sat in the West Stand lower, literally in line with the corner flag. Um, and it was funny because my dad at the time worked on the ships that you could see, uh, where obviously the opening was in the corner, and he couldn't yeah. make the game. Um, and I remember him stood there waving at us. And, you know, I, I don't know why, but it, we needed to win because I think we needed four points from the last two games to get promoted. And we'd beat Oxford earlier in the season 4-1. You know, and when you beat a team convincingly, you, you, you get complacent thinking this is going to be a walk in the park. You know, especially as we'd lost, you know, against West Brom and Sheffield after the, after the, the final. You know, so it was kind of that, that nervous atmosphere. I was, it was very, there was a lot of tension there. You know, I, I don't think we necessarily turned up in the first, you know, 20 minutes or so. And then when that first goal went in, it was like this could be 7 or 8 nil. You know, I think as soon as that goal went in, everybody kind of relaxed. But then the fans got everyone up. And, you know, the funny thing looking back at it now, if you look where the goalposts are, it's like the grass wasn't cut before the game. You know, where they'd done the lines, it was just, you know, it was a very surreal time. And, um, you know, it was a great way to finish the season. Yeah, and I think the way that it came around, I think Sunderland were winning, weren't they? I think Sunderland were 1-0 up at half-time. And we were drawing, and we basically knew if we won, we'd go up, wouldn't we? And then Armstrong comes in, literally scores, what, two minutes, I think, in the second half. And then... It, it, it felt like that game, we basically scored four goals in about five minutes because it just felt like an absolute blitzkrieg attack against them completely. And that Armstrong-Hignett sort of link-up was just absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? Um, as a finish to the season, Tom, we've had a lot of highlights, but that, that game for me has, has got to be up there in terms of atmosphere. You talked about the Liverpool game earlier on, but for atmosphere for outcome, for performance, it's got to be one of the top 10, maybe even top five of that Riverside era. Oh, yeah, I think absolutely. I think, um, and like, you know, in some ways, the kind of KG first half kind of added to it. Like, I, I just remember the second the second half just being just like, just like a party atmosphere. Like you said, the floodgates opened and it was just an absolute, we just absolutely just took them apart. Um and you know, I just remember those two goals from Armstrong. You know, the first goal was um, was a celebration, but I, it's like sometimes on, the, on occasions like this, it's the second goal which is one which everyone celebrates because it's like the relief. Like I think about Harry Kane scoring against Germany in the last summer. Like that second goal is when everyone kind of really loses it because it's like, oh, now we're actually going to go up. Like once we scored that second goal, you knew that we were up. Um, and then to have Higgins come in and score the other two as well. Um, it was just an absolute pie. I'm saying it was such a dream ending for Higner as well. I mean, uh, as you know, as when you look at the photos of um, the celebrations afterwards, you can kind of see Higner kind of looking kind of like detached. And, uh, you know, he, he, I think he said in your interview that he didn't go out with a blast afterwards. Um, like, obviously, that, that adds an extra kind of emotion to it. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think um, this is definitely one of the one of the best uh, Riverside games. Um I mean, it's definitely, I think it'd be a toss-up of the games I went to this season. It would be this one or the Swindon game. 
the six nil. Like I think we needed six to go top, didn't we? So yeah, yeah. after we scored a couple, after we scored a couple of goals, I remember the, the crowds chanting, "We want six, we want six. And then you know, obviously Branca scored that absolutely ridiculous overhead kick, and Madison scored that volley. I mean, that that that, that was that was an unbelievable night as well. Yeah, I mean, I I love that game from a sort of Craig Hignett point of view in the fact that he scores that opening goal at the Riverside against Chelsea. He loses out against Chelsea in a cup final, but then scores the last two goals in a win that gets us promoted. There's just something about Hignett that is so sort of intrinsic to Robson in those sort of mid-90s because that, let's be honest, that period from 94 to 98, whether we got relegated or not, it was just an incredible, incredible period to be a Borough fan. But if you look at this season, Callum, who's your who's your player of the season, if you like, or, or the one who you felt was, you know, we've talked about Merson, we've talked a little little bit about Schwartz, a little bit about Beck, but is Merson the standout man from this season? I think he has to be, just with what he contributed, you know, his assists, his goals, you know, but again... <laughs> Even though he takes the plaudits for that season, it was definitely a team effort. You know, we had, I think we scored 77 goals that year, which it hasn't been top since. And our highest goal scorer in the league was 14 goals compared to Phillips and Van, Van Hoydonk, and like you mentioned with Campbell. You know, they scored nearly 50 goals between them, Van Hoydonk and, and um, Campbell. You know, so when you look at the, the other players in the team that contributed, you know, they've got eight goals, seven goals, six goals. You know, it was very much a, a team effort. And to your point earlier, you know, they the got rid of those maverick players. I know Emerson stayed a bit longer, but I think it actually helped the, the team from a from a standpoint in which they all... They had characters in the dressing room that when something wasn't going right, they could fix it. You know, the likes of Townsend, the likes of the Pearsons. You know, Merson was being in the England team. They had strong, strong characters in that group that... When things weren't going right, you know, we only lost two games on the bounce in the entire season. They knew what to do the next game. You know, like looking at the end of that season, we got beat 5 0 away and then we came home five days later and won 6 0. Then we got beat at Sheffield United 1 0 and then our next home game we won 4 0. You know, so it's like the players knew exactly what they needed to do to get back on track. And it takes everyone, you know, even though Merson was top, top draw that year and going to the World Cup team. It was very much a, a team effort in my eyes. Yeah, I'd certainly agree with that. And as, as a promotion season and as a team, I think it's something that the club are trying to build now, build that really strong team, develop a strong team ethic and really sort of dominate a division defensively and be effective going forward. But we probably could talk at length for another hour maybe about this season, even just looking at some of the games and some of the players. But hopefully we've covered plenty within that. Um, that you can get your teeth into. We'll also make a link onto the um, onto the season review as well. If you haven't seen that, it's definitely worth a watch before or after the pod. But thanks again to uh, Callum and Tom for for coming on all the way from America and um, making us all feel like the Borough lads just get around and and reminisce about what happens at our brilliant football club. So thanks a lot for that, lads. Appreciate it, mate. Have a good one. Thanks, Rob. So, if you have enjoyed listening to the Borough Mag podcast, please do like, rate, share, tell your friends, um, comment on our Twitter feed, check out our Instagram as well. Um, we do really appreciate all the feedback that we get. Hope you're enjoying your listening to the podcast, and we'll see you soon next time.